It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Doctor program on AM nine fifty WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Um, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis is running into some technical difficulties this morning. I don't think I don't think they're real problems, but I think uh, they're they're just little problems, little problems he's having. You okay? I think we're good. I think you we're back, good. You back? Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So you go do producer stuff. Okay. And uh, and I'll just uh, I'll just kind of go on from here. Well, this is the week that. Um, that uh, in the state of Rhode Island, uh, there was a uh, the law change where if you use a cell phone, it has to be hands free, and that took that took place June first. So people are being hopefully a little bit more careful about how they're how they're driving. And really, what it is, it's really about trying to limit texting uh, because so often people try to text and say they're not, and they say, well, we're just using the phone. Well, in fact, uh, the law changed. It says if you, you know, you can't even use your phone as a GPS. You actually have to use your, you have to use your phone um, as just a phone. And uh, if you're using your phone as a GPS, it has to be mounted somewhere or someplace where um, it is in a holder or bracket or tied into your car or a variety of different things. So also this week, was the New England Motor Press Association um, annual technology conference that takes place at MIT. And that conference also happens in conjunction with the New England Motor Press awards presentation for our official vehicles of New England. And this is the eighth annual technology conference, and I believe the 30th or 31st anniversary of the New England Motor Press Association. And with us on the phone is uh, George Kennedy. George Kennedy is a auto writer, videographer, and uh, Fagawi yachtsman. Good morning, George. How are we doing? Good. Fagawi yachtsman, can I call you that? Uh, sure, that's the the classiest way it's been referred to me uh, so far. <laughs> well, you didn't fall you didn't fall off the boat, right? No, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm here, so, yeah, so, so didn't fall so, off the boat. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, but but uh, you and your dad have been doing the Fagawi race for quite a while, right? Yeah, I think we've been last like six or seven years. Yeah, um, which is pretty good considering I didn't start sailing until like right after college. Hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty good. Uh, but I, as I was saying, well, uh, we were we were getting you ready to go on the air. This is we just completed the eighth uh, New England Motor Press MIT Technology Conference. The first one we started with was autonomous vehicles, and this one again was autonomous vehicles, which seems to be everyone's favorite topic right now. Um, and we, I think, we had some pretty good speakers and some pretty good interaction. What were your overall feelings? Well, it's, it's great because it's a topic you can always come back to because it's evolving every year. We could do a topic every year and there would still be plenty to talk about. Um, I was fascinated, as always, by the Age Lab stuff. Uh, Brian Remote, the Age Lab, always coming out with interesting insights. Um, 
if I'm not mistaken, they, that was originally started as like a study on um, alien driving, and then mm-hmm. they, you know, they they realized that a lot of the findings were similar to evaluating distracted driving, and so it's become a huge resource um, and one of the leading uh, groups to evaluate distracted driving. Yeah, it really, it really is. They looked at a variety of different things, and and I, I want to say one of our first conferences, we had the guy who actually runs the Age Lab, whose name I can't remember right now, but, uh, but yeah, that that was that was pretty that was pretty good, and they and they actually have a full vehicle simulator, so sort of like what you see with jet fighter simulators, they actually have they actually have cars set up that way as well. So pretty pretty impressive stuff. Well, and what's impressive too is that. You know, there's a lot of similarities out there. There's a lot of ways to uh, to artificially create the data. They actually have a fleet of vehicles that they're putting everyday drivers in and sending them out there and, and going and working with. So the other thing they're doing is looking at uh, the various semi-autonomous systems that are out there in the field right now. Uh, most most notably, um, Tesla's self-driving systems or quasi-self-driving systems, Cadillac Super Cruise. So they, they, they're putting people behind the wheel and evaluating what they're doing, what they're looking at. Um, you know, are people taking a nap? Are they reading a newspaper? Are they, are they having a cheeseburger while checking their phone at the same time? And these are all things that you got to worry about because, as, as they put it, the, the first big quantum leap in, uh, in autonomy was the rollout of the automatic transmission mm. decades ago. And once you freed up a hand and another foot, then you sort of freed up some brain power too to start doing stuff. And that's why that has to be why the you know the Germans scratch their head and go why why do Americans need so many holders? Because we're drinking stuff and we're eating stuff and we're you know fiddling with stuff with our extra hand up in the front seat. Yeah, you're you're right, and it is uh, whether it's that, and then all of a sudden we complicate it with cruise control, and it, and you know there was a, there was an old joke years and years ago about cruise control, and a guy you know went into a dealership and you know bought bought a car, and the uh, sales guy said, oh, with, between with the automatic transmission and the power steering and the cruise control, this car pretty much drives itself. And a week or so later, the car comes in on a tow truck, all smashed up, and and the guy sales guy says, what happened? And he said, well, you told me it drove itself, so I climbed in the back seat to take a nap. <laughs> and that and that yeah, was well, and that was a joke from probably the 50s or 60s so i mean and that's sort of what's happening you kind of look at you know now you know fast forward 60 years or 70 years and you look at some of what happened with the uh all you have to do is go on youtube and google tesla autopilot and you see the stuff that people are doing while the car is trying to drive itself and the car's never meant to drive itself the car's meant to help you uh, but you see people playing board games and you know all kinds of goofy <laughs> stuff in the front seat. And but people are taking advantage of the technology rather than having the technology work with them. Right, exactly. And and what it's going to require is you know there's a, there's a quick evolution of technology, but there, the the tougher thing is going to be legislation and public perception. And one of the ways that I know that uh, various automakers are going to try to entice people. To, to be more okay with uh, self-driving cars is, you know, any ride-sharing system, it's going to be more affordable to to go on the autonomous one, the self-driving one, than it is to have a real driver. Oh, sure, yeah, uh, because, let's face it, one less person, one less person has to get paid. So uh, it's, it's just one of those, it's one of those things. But you think about, you think about what's going on with the technology and, and you know, autonomy is running some, 
running some cars in Boston right now, but they're in a very controlled environment. Uh, you look at some of the tragic uh, crashes that have happened over the years, and I, I think I mentioned it on my opening remarks at the conference. Eight years ago, I was Mr. Full Speed Ahead. Let's try to develop this technology as fast as we can to help impair drivers. You know, I looked over at Paul Paravano, who's uh, the PR director for MIT, and he's 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 blind, and, you know, and he even said, right. I, I would love to have a car that I can get in, and it takes me where I want to go, and without having to rely on somebody, and eight years ago, I felt, yeah, this is, you know, let's do this. Let's do this as fast as we can. And now I'm more like, you know what? Let's be a little bit more controlled about this. Let's give this a little bit more thought. Let's uh, be a little bit more practical about it. And I think some of our guest speakers, whether it was from NVIDIA or or Humantics, um, you look at some of the software that they're, they're developing, and especially um, with Humantics, the idea of, um, yeah, I think it was Humantics. Were they the one that were doing the little tiny um, transponders that they want to tie all over the place so you actually have better, uh, kind of better sight lines rather than just relying on GPS? Right. Yeah. Right. But here's the funny thing, though. The, the guy from NVIDIA, as he pointed out, he goes, when the cars, when the, when the new cars with the autonomous systems and the sensors are up to the level that they should be in terms of uh, sensor sensitivity, if I could put it that way. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the old cars, the legacy vehicles on the road, won't need those sort of things. It'll be so fine grained. So, what's interesting is that among all the speakers, you got you got this cross section where each of them were working on something different, but you could see the whole painting come together. Of okay, these folks are working on the infrastructure rules. These folks are working on the processing power and the sensors, and then you know. There are even more people working on you know, driver behaviors, and all together it makes this big, you know, you know, pastiche of this is what the future is going to look like, you know, as a cross section. And you know, one of the things we didn't really talk about was, and you know, I, I remember you brought it up briefly, was um, creating the rules hmm. of okay, say you're on a, a road and you're being blocked by three buses and your car is out of control. One bus is full of nuns. One bus is full of babies. One bus is full of puppies. Well. Which which car is your computer going to have to decide? Well, this is if we're going careening out of control to try and go go towards this one. Yeah. Or is it going to run you? In, or is it going to run you into a tree? Because it goes well. We can't take out any of those vehicles. Right. And, and that and that is one of those one of those things. And and I think the other thing I brought up is you know how do you handle vehicle bullying? So and I didn't really get much of an answer on that. But what happens if you know it's a self driving car and I know it will stop for me? You know with you know, with the exception of the law of physics, that if it's just going too fast. But am I going to pull in front of every self-driving car because I know it's going to jam on the brakes and stop and I can just go? Um, yeah, there I has mean, to be some rules today, around that. Even today, I, half the time I cut off Priuses because I assume the driver isn't paying attention. <laughs> oh, you just don't like Priuses. I mean, there's that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Um, the what's going to be very interesting is you know a the is going to be this eventual rollout. So as they said uh, at the at the event, the the legislation is not going to be anywhere capable of keeping up with the evolution of the technology. And so that's just one facet. So you know you're going to have the legislation as an issue. You're going to have the rollout as an issue. And then there's the the era for the next you know from when when they become popular to you know decades after of 
we'll call it cohabitation of mm. autonomous vehicles and legacy vehicles. And what are the best ways for those things to mix together? Are there going to be rules where somewhere down the road I can't drive my old Jeep on open roads? Or, you know, and then one of the solutions was there are going to be places out, you know, out in rural areas where this autonomous tech will never take hold because the infrastructure isn't there. Right. No, and I think that was one of the questions that came up with is if you have an old car, the 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 compatibility with systems and how it's going to work. Uh, it it really is. There's there's a lot of moving pieces here, and one thing that we don't need is in the United States. There's if you go into the RMV or DMV, there's literally fifty different drivers manuals for every state in the country. We don't need fifty different sets of rules for autonomous vehicle development. And if we do, that's going to be a problem because uh, especially in a geographic area like New England where everything's so close, you know, Rhode Island's got a different rule than Mass. Mass has a different rule than Vermont. Connecticut, of course, will have a different rule than everybody else because they're Connecticut. So, um, <laughs> so you know, there has to be some uniformity. And unfortunately, and I'm, I'm not a big believer in adding new laws, but I think when it comes to autonomous vehicle development, there has to be sort of a national plan in place how these vehicles are going uh, to have to be developed and, and uh, not just developed, but how they could be used. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it does offer – an opportunity, and I agree. I, you know, I'm not in favor of adding custody laws, but if you have an opportunity to put something in place from the start instead of having to deal with like, you know, weird legacy laws and legacy stipulations that that just that that end up being roadblocks. Um, and right now, we're we're seeing that that might be what happens if mm. you know the cynic in me says there's going to be 50 set, different sets of laws, unfortunately, because you have different states already running different sets of allowing vehicles on the road or not. Hmm. Um, and then you have states walking it back, too. Um, you know, with regards to California, that's where a lot of these uh, these Tesla incidents are happening. happening. But then in, in Michigan, you have an area where, you know, there's M-City, so it's a controlled environment, so that they're allowing you need the resources for that, too. So, so M-City is a thing up, uh, I believe it's part of University of Michigan. It's a controlled like 10 blocks by 10 blocks hmm. that is meant to be uh, a simulator for autonomous vehicles. So, so they can go in there. You, they've created the wireframe of that city. Um, <clears throat> and when they develop a vehicle, they can go in there, be it a shuttle, be it a personal vehicle, and they can test the, the, the effectiveness of that autonomous vehicle. Yeah, no, there's uh, there's some of that. There's M-City. There's, uh, the, I think it's the Sandag Proving Ground out in California, which sounds yeah. more impressive than what it really is. But if you have an <laughs> autonomous vehicle, um, you literally rent part of the freeway, and they close down the freeway and let you go out and test your vehicle out on, the, out on freeway conditions. And then, of course, right here in Massachusetts, we are testing in the seaport, but we're also doing some testing out in Devons, which is kind of a neighborhood. So you can do some testing out there as well. So we have places to be able to do it. But I, I think in one breath, um, I want to encourage as much development as possible. But also I want to be a little slow and steady about it and make sure it's done as safely as possible at the same time. Well, what you have is uh, two things. You have the, the development that's being taken place in a controlled environment, and then you have the development that's being taken place on the open road and both have their merits, but I think the open road testing needs to, to, to step back a little bit. Uh, and you know, I want this to, to exist at some point because it has to, mm. it's the only way that these cars are going to learn 
the the rules and that how they're you know and, it, and when I say learn the rules, they're going to need AI supercomputers to, mm-hmm. to be able to process all the information coming in on the road. Um, I was talking to the couple of the MIT students that were there, and they're working on um, one of the shuttle programs in Boston. And what they said is that, you know, even within a controlled environment, like they, for their shuttle route, they built a wireframe of the whole route, which, you know, conceivably means it doesn't have to worry about too many sensors and stuff. It knows where it's going. So, you know, the amount of foot traffic, because it's a college campus, the amount of foot traffic around it means it has to be able to, to identify with all the sensors every pedestrian, not just the pedestrian, but their trajectory, so it knows to avoid them because it needs to figure out if somebody's jaywalking or walking across the street or whatever. So yeah, no, a whole it, different it, set, of, set of learning things. Yeah, you're right. It really does take a, a ridiculous amount of computations to make all of this work. And, you know, not to pick on Tesla, but um, their systems, they were actually, and they, they admitted it, I think, about a year ago. They put their systems out in what they called kind of a shadow mode. They tried to call it, well, you know, it's sort of beta still. But what they were basically doing is looking for problems to happen and correcting them with the information they were receiving from the vehicles. So, But they never really told their customers that they were basically guinea pigs testing and evaluating the systems in an open road environment. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because that is one of the things that Tesla does philosophically as a company that I disagree with strongly, and that is using its customers as beta testers. And this is something that that there needs to be better consumer protections for when it comes to cell phones, consumer products of, you know, we're not the testing lab. And just because it costs, you know, millions more to test it in the lab before you put it out in the field doesn't mean that you have to push that onto us as the consumer. So... I find it very disheartening that Tesla continues to do the uh, beta testing on its on its consumers. That what they what they have for their uh, their semi autonomous tech should have been perfected. You know, I know with the Model Three, there's some teething issues like oh, the braking could be better, mm-hmm. so it's been an, an OTA update. That's great, and that should have been fixed too. But it's borderline criminal that they run this program and put it out in the field without it being fully proven. Yeah, no, it 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 is um, it is pretty interesting on how all of this is happening and, and where it's happening, and it's just pretty amazing. And if people want more information, they can actually go to nempa dot org, and we are going to be having some information about the conference. We are going to try to put up the four powerpoints from our guest speakers. Uh, just so people get a, a little bit of a flavor about what all of these different things. And I think, uh, you know, one of the, the more interesting uh, guys was Chris Carter from the city of Boston and just talking about how the city of Boston is working with, with some of the, some of the uh, um, vehicle manufacturers and, and system testers. I, I, you know, overall, overall, I was, uh, I have to admit, as we were going into this conference, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how good this is going to be because there's so much autonomous vehicle uh, testing and development and, and summits and meetings all around the world right now. But I think uh, I think it was I think it was really really good. By the time we were done, I think it was I think it was a great event. Well, what I, I think what I appreciated about it was there are a lot of people focused on very little pieces of the whole big puzzle. We had a, a, a group of speakers that basically represented a cross section of the the underlying concepts of the entire sphere of influence for autonomy. And I think that's what made it so crucial.
Yeah, no, it was good. And then uh, sort of the, we'll call it the public part was over. The private part started after that where uh, we're at 530. We had the New England Motor Press annual awards presentation. And it was the first year ever we actually split the top award between an SUV and a sedan. What did you think about the Kia Kia Stinger winning the uh, official winter vehicle of New England? So I've had nothing but good things to say about the Stinger. It's a fantastic design, and I know this is more of a a nuts and bolts award than design, but, you know, it looks sharp. It drives incredibly well. And our colleague Craig Fitzgerald once said, with regards to what makes the ideal winter vehicle, and that is the key attribute is something that that doesn't give up in in other areas to help you achieve that winter vehicle status. Mm. So. You know, there are some vehicles that are just absolute monsters in the snow, but maybe they lack drivability or maybe they're bad on fuel economy. This car, it drives great, and because it's all-wheel drive in some of the, in some of the trims, handles very well in the snow. Um, you know, I think we were really all blown away by that car as we've all gotten into it, and, it, you know, it became evident. Yeah, it really did. And then the the other one was the SUV, we, where we split it up into an SUV category. And it's the first time the votes again ever ever ended up this way. The Dodge Durango and the Jeep uh, Grand Cherokee has been a perennial winner for uh, off and on for a bunch of years. But this year it went over to the Dodge Durango. Think you know Jeep Grand Cherokee with the third seat kind of thing. And the uh, woman from Chrysler, Lisa Barrow, uh, called me up and she said, oh, I, I heard I heard we won. Did we win on the uh, GT or was it the SRT? And I just answered back yes. And the reason was yeah. because um, because of the variety of vehicles, you could get a 300-horsepower V6 version or you could get a, um, you know, a 500 horsepower, you know, SRT hot rod version, and they all do well in the winter. They And like you said, and like Craig Fitzgerald said, neither of those vehicles give up the fun and the practicality of driving them on a 75-degree fall day as they do in the middle of winter when it's miserable. Right, you're, and you're absolutely right that the, the Durango is some somewhat of a, a cousin to the Jeep Grand Cherokee. They're they're built on the same platform, albeit, you know, the underlying drivetrain technology for the Durango is a little bit different. It's more all-wheel drive hmm. than a 4 4 by 4 which actually makes it, you know, potentially it's more of an everyday vehicle that happens to have this capability. You know, Dodge doesn't ha- offer the number of vehicles that it did in the past. And so with its smaller lineups, uh, this is true of all the FCA brands, they take the vehicles that are existing and they really stretch out what's possible with them. Hence, you get you can get a base VSC, you can get a Hemi, you can get the SRT. And to, that sort of variation is actually really cool. And what's, it's what's kind of keeps, keeps Dodge going in a lot of ways. Yeah, it really it really does. And I know you're a Jeep guy, but uh but I think that Durango just did such a good job all the way around and uh and people really appreciated the vehicle for what it what it was. And we also gave out an award, uh we call it the Gene Ritfo Award. Gene Ritfo was a a member of the New England Motor Press Association and uh you and your group did a, a fantastic video highlighting the MIT uh I mean the uh Gene Ritfo Award uh in conjunction with the folks from the Museum of Transportation and the Museum of Fine Arts. Thanks. Yeah, in addition to just my, you know, all my everyday automotive writing and photography and podcasting and whatnot, 
Uh, I also co-founded a small video production outfit uh, called Cartender. You can find us at cartender.com. And we were asked by NEMPA this year to produce the, the Ritvo Award. You know, that's Gene Ritvo, obviously, you know, he passed before I joined the group, but he's somebody who's near and dear to many folks. And, you know, he was sort of the resident photographer. So as somebody who, you know, does a lot of photography, uh, this topic was very near and dear to my heart. I've seen his photos everywhere. He has a couple sort of signature styles of photography, one where he sort of takes a photo of the front of the car head on at a very close detail. And so when we were asked to do this video, I was, I was very honored. And so we interviewed um, Megan Melvin from the Museum of Fine Arts and Sheldon Steele, who is the executive director of the Lars Anderson Auto Museum. And, you know, we put together this award and we basically we just used their words to to sum up what great car design is and, you know, their thoughts on the, the career and the life of Gene Redbell. Yeah. No, it was, it was very well done. And uh, is that video also on your website? It is, yeah. Uh, we'll be, I know through our social media outlets, we'll be pushing that video out. And, of course, I'll be uh, leaning on Lisa to uh, to push out the, that same video through NEMPA as well. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Uh, before we let you go, what else do you have going on in your life? You, uh, yeah, we we know you from some events at the uh, Lars Anderson Museum. You got anything coming up uh, before the end of the year? Yeah, so the museum itself just opened a new exhibit on uh, New England hot rods. So if you're into you know the local hot rodding scene that existed here, like in the fifties and sixties, there used to be tracks all around. There used to be a, a drag strip in Orange Mass. It's a whole exhibit dedicated to a different style of hot rodding than you might imagine from like, you know, the beach boys in Southern California mm-hmm. where it's far, far more Yankee ingenuity as the underlying factor. Um, that just opened some really cool cars there. And then we're going to do another edition of motor mouth. That's our, um, you know, a couple times a year we do a lecture series and spoken word series. Um, and this fall it's going to be on, different people who are sort of thought leaders and kind of the pied pipers of like the enthusiast community in the Boston area. So we're going to do, we're going to do that in September. Don't know what day it is yet, but when I know the exact date, I'll definitely come back on. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I even remember as a kid, I'm pretty sure it was Norwood had an eight mile drag strip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, they have a, um, a map there showing all the old, all the old tracks and stuff. And some of them have then turned into dog tracks. You know, and others are now you know underneath the neighborhood. Yeah, no, I mean it, you. You know, I think the racing, you know, kind of the racing culture back then is a lot like um, the, the private aircraft culture was. Every little town had a little private airport. Nobody thinks about it today, right. but the town I grew up in had an airport, and it was basically just a big field. It was a big field with a with a dirt landing strip, but there was you know there was probably a couple dozen planes that that were there on any given basis and on any given time. So, and that was very popular back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And the same thing with drag strips. It was drag strips everywhere. Right. Absolutely. And what's funny is sort of my area of automotive influence has always been sort of like sixties and seventies European sports. And when I think of hot rods, I think of American graffiti and Greece and I hate the movie Greece. So like, it's always been sort of a weird thing, but like I come in and I see this and they're just absolute works of automotive art at the, uh, right now. No, that sounds that sounds like a great thing for everybody to go check out and see see what it's all about. Hey, George, how can people find you on uh, social platforms and what have you? 
Sure. Uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, I'm at GKens101. Uh, and then you can check out our website at cartender.com. Uh, I'm also putting stuff in the U.S. News and World Report, cargurus.com, boston.com. I'm everywhere, man. You're everywhere. You're everywhere. <laughs> hey, George, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday morning and joining us over here in Boston. Hey, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you All soon. right. Talk to you soon, George. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we need to take a break. You're listening to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston, or maybe you're even listening on 100.3 FM. We'll be right back. WROL, the Spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the car doctor here to help you with your car problems. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. I want to thank George Kennedy for joining us this morning. And, uh, in fact, all of the people that joined me at the MIT conference this week, that it was a big event. We had, I think we had about 100 and so people uh, scheduled for the afternoon conference, and we had a little bit more than that scheduled for the evening awards presentation. Um, and, uh, you know, my personal thanks to Lisa Brock, who is the uh, NEMPA executive director. She's the one who really d- does a ton of work for this. And sure, we had some other people do some work as well. But, um, you know, getting this is a lot of moving parts. This was sort of like planning two weddings and uh, just a lot of a lot of work. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and like, According to all reports, it did it did well. Our phone number again, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to our buddy Rick. Rick. Hey there. Hey there. I got a, a, a question that I know you can't answer, but okay. um, just put it out there. All right. I was driving through, driving through New York a couple of weeks ago, and they were resurfacing a road. Uh-huh. Now, they had the machine that tears up the road, goes through, drives down the road. Behind it was a sweeper cleaning up and picking it up. Mm-hmm. And then behind the sweeper was the paver. Mm-hmm. And they were doing it all in one swipe. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Why can't they do that around here? Why do they have to tear up the road, leave it tore up for a week or two, then come back, clean it up again, and then finally get around to paving it? You're right. I don't have an answer to that. I know. Because whoever, whoever owns a third piece of equipment doesn't want to do that. I don't know, but that that is amazing uh, if if it actually works the way it's supposed to. Can I answer that a little sure. bit? Sure. Yeah, That's let's, sarcastic as all heck, oh. but because New York is way more efficient at doing city life than, than well, New York. And, and that, and that, and that could be. I mean, New York only does construction at night. Yep. Yeah, well, so I, this wasn't New York City. This was upstate. Yeah, but, but even still, yeah, they learned from the city, so they know. Okay, if we can do it in the city, we can do it up here. Yeah. No, no, in you're theory. right because there's um, there's places of Route Three down by sort of Duxbury, heading down that way, that they 
they uh, they ground all the pavement off. I think a month ago. And the other thing that happens is with all of that ground up pavement, um, the one the one people that benefit from all that is the windshield replacement business because there's all these little pieces of junk that get kicked up by tires and um, and you know all of a sudden the the amount of windshields break. It wasn't that many. Well, it's probably a bunch of years ago now, but they were also repaving down there, and there was some thoughts that people were. Um, that there was someone uh, shooting out people's windshields because there was so many smashed windshields down there. And it was funny, after the road was paved, all the problems went away. So was it shooting out people's windshields or was it just a lot of junk being kicked up from, you know, tires and things that were just breaking windshields? So um, you're right, Rick, you know, the idea of grind it all up, sweep it all up, repave right over it and, and do it all in, do it all in one sweep. Pretty amazing. Yeah, and uh, a few years ago, before they started putting up the motorcycle beware signs, you know, on the roads where they're doing the, the construction, I was doing the, uh, I was on an interstate whipping along, and all of a sudden, boom, I dropped down, you know, three inches, mm-hmm. and I'm on that tore up road. Going a little faster than I wanted to be going on that type yeah, of road. Uh, yeah, when, when, and it's not even just, uh, motorcycles that are a challenge. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, how her um, 1999 Volkswagen, if she hit um, if she hit torn up roadway like that, the car was almost undrivable. It just wanted to, it just wanted to, you know, go from side to side in the road. It was, it was really uncomfortable where, you know, some cars handle that better than others. And, um, and I remember years ago when I had a a good sized Honda motorcycle hitting something like that. The first, the first time I ever did it, kind of rattled me a little bit. So, yeah, the first time I went over those uh, open great bridges, you know, it, it rattled me. Till I learned, yeah, well, that's the characteristic of the road. But right. you know, it's like all of a sudden you, you start wobbling, like whoa. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't need that kind of excitement in your life. I'll say one well, other thing is that I will, because I used to rank on rag on Massachusetts all the time for their lack of signage because the sign the, they could have signage but the signage was so small you wouldn't see it and I'll say that the signage has gotten way better in the past um, since the big dig hmm. and the paving has gotten faster because they did the um, in my area they did the Furnace Brook Parkway rotary and the rotary in Neponset and it was tore up for a couple days but like all of a sudden the next day, like after it being torn up for a couple of days, in almost one day's time, they had it all repaved nice and smooth, and it was really fast. And I've mm. noticed that the roads are getting done faster, but I've also noticed that they get tore up quicker. Yeah. So I don't know if there's something going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at, you talk to people who have been to Europe, and I've never been to Europe, but the Autobahn where... Um, if you took a cross section of what the autobahn looks like, it is it is literally like three feet of asphalt and cement and a whole bunch of stuff, which is why they don't have potholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, where here, it seems like well, two things happen. It seems like we pave, and then we decide to put water pipes in. Yep. And then we have to tear it back up, and then we patch it, and it's never right afterwards. And then they repave it, and then they put gas pipes in. So there, I, I was talking to an engineer one time, and he said something. To, I said, "How isn't there some plan of you know we do this and we do?" And he goes, "You would think so, but not really." So, Rick, good question. You're right. You're 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 the smartest guy in the room today. You're right. I didn't have an answer. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't trying to stop you, John. Have a good day. <laughs> All right, take care, Rick.
Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Jim and Quincy. Hey Jim. Good morning. Good morning. I was wondering if you could uh, mend a car. I want to get down from a Tahoe to something a little bit smaller but similar. And I don't not too familiar with the GM or uh, Chevy uh, alternatives in the size down. Well, I mean, you're looking from there. You're looking mm-hmm. at either a Traverse or a Equinox. Um, the Equinox and Traverse have both been redone for this year. Uh, I no. have I have not driven either of them. Uh, if you wanted to go one sm- size smaller than the Equinox, uh, it would be the uh, Chevy Trax, uh, which is a little tiny, which is a little tiny uh, SUV. In fact, I'm going to be doing a review of the Buick Encore, which is the Buick version of the Chevrolet, uh, which I was not impressed with the Chevy at all. The Buick was actually not bad. I have to admit, it was a little bit better than I expected it to be. Um, yeah. But the uh, but the Traverse is a little bit smaller, and, and all of these where your where your vehicle is more of a truck, these are certainly more passenger car based. Do they have towing capacity? They have some. You know Equinox what? And Traverse. Uh, the Equinox, I, I would say the Equinox, this is just a guess, but I bet it's probably 1,500 pounds to traverse, a couple thousand probably. So yeah. you know, you're not going to be towing anything too big with it. Uh, Pathfinder or something else in that category? Yeah, I mean, the Pathfinder The Pathfinder is going to certainly give you, gonna give you a little bit uh, more in that range. Have you, um, have you thought about Jeep at all, like Grand Cherokee? No, no, no. I don't think Jeep would be acceptable now. No, uh, no. because they they are they are much better than they were ten years ago. Um, yeah, the, they were pretty bad. I had a bunch of them. That, yeah, uh, never had any luck with the old five, oh seven. Yeah, yeah. No, in the past in the past ten years they have they have improved a lot. The drivability's gotten much better. Um, how they how they handle has, has gotten much better. Um, you know, quality wise. You know, they're, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, they're probably not, um, you know, when it, when it comes right down to it, uh, I, you know, I want I want GM and Ford, and even though Chrysler is not really Chrysler, I want them to be the best quality vehicles you can make, but um, that's not the case. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, if I was looking for a solid kind of truck-based SUV, I'd probably go with something like a 4Runner. Really? Yeah. Have you driven them? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a, the Forerunner is a little trucky, um, but yeah. on the other hand, if you want something that tows, if you want something that works well, um, it's it's uh, it's it, and if you want something that's dependable as all get out and holds its value, um, even in spite of you know years back when some of the pickups had frame rot problems, even at that, uh, when things went bad, either Toyota put brand new frames in, and or else they gave you. Well above the retail value for it, if you decided, you know, it wasn't, you know, the whole truck was bad. And there were people literally buying them used and reselling them back to the back to Toyota because they were giving them so much money for them. So, um, you know, that's not the case with every car. No, I have a Toyota Tacoma, and uh, you know, it's it's very serviceable, but the suspension and the uh, the drivability and the mileage is horrible. Mm. I need something. <laughs> smoother but you know i'd like a small suv i'd like a small uh i don't know what you know i I don't know what i mean really tahoe if they made a smaller version but the truck 
rather than just the car versions. But I guess they don't, unless you go foreign and you're into a a Pathfinder or a Forerunner. Yeah, and that, and that's and that's just it, you know. And you know, if you look at Ford, you're only going to see you're really only going to see the Ford Explorer, which sounds like it'd be a little bit more than you need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, okay, you know, and and are are you looking more for kind of truck based or car based or just I'm quite sure. Not quite sure. You know, very happy with the Tahoe, but it's getting older, and I don't want to buy a new one. They're so big, we don't need it anymore. I just right. want something that would, you know, it's it's a very multi-use uh, car. You could drive it anywhere. You could pull anything. They're very versatile, but, you know, 12 miles a gallon is just not making it anymore. Yeah, and, uh, I, and gas isn't going anywhere but up, so. Um, at yeah. least in, at least in at least in the short term. I mean, something like, I mean, something like, you know, a Highlander, a Toyota Highlander could probably work for you. Again, the, the towing capacity is reduced a little bit. You know, fuel economy, you know, fuel economy should be, you know, in that, you know, in that mid-20s range, I guess. So, you know, a little, little bit better for that. Um, you know, but if you're, but if you are looking, you know, there are, there are some that, there are some that are just better than others. And it sounds like you don't know quite what you're looking for yet, which is always the hard part. It is. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. To narrow down and then go look at them and drive a few of them. And, yeah. Uh, very time consuming. I just wanted to get a, a ballpark yeah. of no. which direction no. I might head. No, and especially if you're you're looking at things and you're like, well, you know, I I want something that you know, if I do put a trailer hitch on it, I can tow thirty five hundred pounds. Um, you know, all of a sudden that starts to limit what you can really do. So yeah, yeah. I do have a couple of trailers, and that would make a difference. So yeah. maybe I'll end up. Keeping the Toyota and just getting rid of the Tahoe. Well, that yeah. might work. There, there you go. Sounds like you have a half an answer. So let me know what you, let me know half what you answer. decide on. Okay. Okay. You, All right. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Paul and Braintree. Hey, Paul. Hi. Good morning, John. Good morning. Uh, I have a, an easy pass question. Uh, I called him the other day. I was uh, changing my my credit card and updating it. And I talked to a very nice woman there. Uh, and I said, well, you know... Uh, Thank you for that, by the way. That reminds me, my credit card number just changed, and I need to do the same thing. Yeah, and they... Uh, very nice, but uh, I said, well, you know, if I want to drive from here to Philadelphia or something mm-hmm. like that, um, she told me what my balance was, and I thought that they, once I gave them the credit card, they automatically, you know, with, withdrew the amount as I passed various tolls. And... Uh, I guess that's not it. I said, well, you know, how do I know what it's going to, you know, if I'm driving from here to Philadelphia, um, let's, uh, you know, how, how much is it going to be? She said, well, you can go online, and, and then they'll, they'll tell you from each state what the tolls are from, from point A to point B, and then you, then you go in and you add whatever amount that you need to go from point A to point B. Huh? Hmm. I mean, I, is this a new policy that you, it's really self-serve, that even though you give them a credit card, uh, you know, that you have to keep adding money to the credit card or, or to the balance on the credit card that they maintain, uh, it's not automatic. I mean, it, that's a little confusing. Well, you know? Dennis uh, Dennis seems to have an answer here. Let's see what he says. Okay. So I've, I've had the Dennis. easy pass for a few years because I used to drive out to Marlboro all the time, um, so I was always on the pike. Um, and in the past couple of years, I've gone down to Hilton Head Island, um, straight down the 95 corridor, 
Um, and I've always had to, I, the first year I did, uh, the, when I did it the first time I called them and they said, Oh, you know, you have to figure it out. It's been like that since the get go from my understanding. Um, so basically I usually just call, um, about a week before I'm going anywhere, a week before I'm going to go on a lot of toll roads and put in, either tell them to take out a withdrawal of, um, a hundred, $150. So that way it, it stay, it, it pretty much covers you that way. Um, to Philly, I would say no, no less than no less than seventy five dollars because mm. the the G, the if you're going over the GW bridge, that alone is at, I think seventeen yeah seventeen dollars seventeen dollars yeah. or something yeah. like that. See, yeah. and and Paul, I was under the same impression you were that I gave my credit card number. They they put twenty dollars on my Easy Pass account, yeah. and right. then I figured when it dropped under twenty, they put another twenty, and when they dropped under twenty, they put another twenty. And as it was explained to me, they might only do that once a day. So if you're going through all the tolls, oh. oh yeah, I think she said, well, ma'am, they should really rename it then as the not so easy path not so yeah yeah but i you know dennis just said an interesting thing he said you know they may only look at the account once a day and if you are driving through you know if you're driving through new york and you go over the gw and then you go on the something else and the something else you and you put twenty dollars in there you could exceed your amount and the and then the next day they're going to go you have a negative balance and do they do they Add twenty and then balance it out, or is it just, you know, are you in, are you in trouble at that point? Yeah. I've not, I've not heard of anybody being in trouble for the, with the yeah. Easy Pass. They usually get the charges on the Easy Pass. There might be a late fee, so it could cost more. You're just better off. I, I know what you're saying, and it's a, it's a hassle. But and now that they just implemented the online one, I believe a year, year and a half yeah. ago, because it wasn't there when I first started yeah. going down to yeah. Hilton Head. Well, yep. I, in this day and age, I just that doesn't make any sense. Why the the burden is on on the driver? Right. Uh, you know, everything is so automatic. You drive through these tolls. Uh, I can go to Stop and Shop and use my handheld scanner and and uh, and check the items as I'm shopping down every aisle, yeah. and I pass it over the register and I check out. I mean, no big deal. No, I, I have I have an account set up to charge an electric car because occasionally I have an electric car to road test, mm-hmm. and I go to charge it up, and I and I have it set up that it has ten dollars in the account, and when it drops under five, they add another ten. So there's always there's always a little extra money in there. Now, granted, they have my money more than I have my money, and maybe mm-hmm. that's one maybe that's one of the issues the state. You know, was worried they were going to get some backlash that, hey, look, when your account drops under a certain amount, um, and if we base it on usage, so in other words, if you are going to New York and out to Philadelphia and whatever, and you hit a bunch of tolls and it's a $75 toll run, and but it's only a one-way trip, and all of a sudden the state is holding $100 in your Easy Pass account that you're not going to use for three years, somebody's probably going to complain about that too. So, uh, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, maybe maybe AAA does is when you get a trip tick. Uh, yeah, I haven't done it for for a while. They you, may, you, they you are you are a million are. other people, but yeah, yeah. We used to actually we used to actually write down on the trip tick. This was a toll road, and um, and I, I don't remember if we actually said what the toll was, but we always said it was a toll road. And yeah, and that and that's you know that's part of it. Um, 
I, yeah, I'm I'm a little interested, you know, in the same thing because, like I said, my uh, I for years and years and years I had a AAA Mastercard, and apparently I was one of 125 people that had a AAA Mastercard, and they replaced it with a AAA Visa card. But my Mastercard was a card that was tied into my EasyPass account, mm-hmm. and uh, well, it's not anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I had I haven't I apparently haven't gone through a, a toll for a long time. Yeah. Because I still had a balance, like seventeen dollars, mm. and uh, but I yeah, I did change it. I mean, the, the woman was very nice, and I'm glad she gave me the information. So I'm not really critical of that. It just it seems like the system is. Well, I understand, you know, they probably get criticized for holding the yeah. money, but again, why should I be hit with a late fee? Yeah, no. You know, if if Dennis said that they'll they'll hit you with a late fee, well, you know, I wasn't late. They were just, you know, not yeah. technically up to the. Yeah. And that's the time. Part, so that's part I don't know. So I can get somebody way. on that. I don't even know who runs it, yeah. or whether it's an yeah. individual company or not. Anyway, it's per state, by the way. So yeah. some states might not hit you with the late fee. It's all up to the. Yeah, I'm pretty and, certain. Oh, that's even, yeah. that's even worse. Yeah, and here uh, and, and this is this is the dirty little secret with Easy Pass too, because Easy Pass when it was first started back, you know how many tens of years ago, um, it was a discounted toll system. So if the toll was a dollar and you paid with Easy Pass, yeah. you, you get charged 80 cents. Well, that's all well and good, but your Easy Pass that you have in Massachusetts doesn't give you the same discount in New York, nope. doesn't give you the same discount going over the Newport Bridge. And, you know, uh, Rhode Island residents pay 80 cents to go over the Newport Bridge. Uh, Mass residents pay $4 to go over the Newport Bridge or $5 to go over the Newport Bridge. Um, and you know that's one of the things. If you if you read the if you read the Massachusetts does a little better job than most. But if you read the toll signs out on the Mass Pike, it's it'll say something like five dollar cash, which there isn't cash. You know, four dollar Easy Pass, and then something else uh, because it is supposed to be a discount program. Virginia is the only state that whether you bill by plate or bill by electronic transponder it's all the same price and it doesn't matter whose transponder it is no. um but in in most cases and then all of a sudden you get on the other side of virginia and the easy pass doesn't work anyway well no it works it works yeah. down to it works down to no, florida. florida florida is yeah. when it stops yeah they have and the then you need the sun pass. pass sun pass yeah yeah and then uh, you know you think you're all set until you hit you hit the sunshine border and uh, yeah it doesn't, isn't going to work anymore i remember years ago uh there was a there was a Guy, he was an on-the-road salesman for something. He, he was uh, he was driving a Lincoln Continental, and he had six different Easy Passes on his dash, and he would uh, whichever one, whichever one. So it was, if he was going to New Hampshire, he'd, he'd he'd put the New Hampshire one on. If he was, you know, going to New York, he'd use the New York one. And he was trying to be as economical as possible. I guess uh, sounds I like a lot it, of work. It kind of makes me wonder whether the Easy Pass is worth it. Isn't it better just Either the, either they bill you by license plate, <clears throat> or um, are you stop and pay the toll? Well, there's, I mean, there's it, a well in some places you can't stop and pay the toll. There's nobody to pay. Well, that's um, yeah, yeah, and well. the and when you get the bill in the mail, a lot of times there's a surcharge added for a pay by plate fee. So it depends if you you know if you look at it and say, hey, I never go out on the Mass Pike, I never drive in and around Boston over the tolls. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just wait until I get the bright pink envelope in the mail or orange envelope or whatever color it is that says um, that says I got to uh, pay a pay a toll. Um, and I'll rather than put twenty dollars in an account and like you said, you know, I have a seventeen dollar balance that's probably been in there for three years. Um, yeah. You know, I'll just pay for I'll just pay for it when I get it. I ended up getting an easy pass because um, 
you know, when I do drive a press car and I happen to go through a toll booth, I don't think it's fair for the vehicle manufacturer to have to pay the toll. Right. Yeah, I will. I will also say sure. the convenience factor. Once you get through New oh, yeah. York, going down the Jersey Turnpike and into Delaware, um, when you when you get into those tolls, um, it, it's so much faster. If you if you have to sit in the line in the toll line, even if you see that the easy pass, like the the fast pass or whatever they want to call it in the other states, are the there's more traffic in there that traffic's moving whereas the tolls the lines might not be as big anymore but you're still sitting there and if you get a, if there's a, a truck that's going through forget it you're going to be mm, I get a better there. solution get have, rid of the tolls have to yeah exactly toll free roads yeah you know i i think though the future is going to be all the roads are going to have tolls on them and we might not have a state gas tax anymore but i think we're going to all be uh, we're all going to be paying tolls based on how much we travel because, um, like George was talking about earlier, um, you know, some of these self-driving vehicles and things like that, a lot of the new technology is going to be, you know, the, you know, right now there's a small percentage of cars that are electric. You know, in 20 or 30 years, that number is going to get higher. Those cars don't pay gas tax, uh, but they still wear out the roads just like a gasoline car does. So I think we're going to see we're going to see less gas tax and a lot more vehicle mile travel tax, and that will be done based on tolling. I mean, I think there's still a, a, a movement out there in the legislature to put tolls on Route 3 out here. Um, better not happen. But, yeah, well, uh, yeah, there's, there's uh, you know, there's, there's there's no money, and that's the problem, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but if, if they attempt to do that, can you imagine what Route 18 would look like? Oh, oh. I can't, you know, there was, there was talk to have a, uh, a dollar toll or something going over the Sagamore and Bourne Bridge. You know, mm-hmm. uh, can you imagine? You pay us to be going over that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Paul, always good questions. Uh, thank you very All much. Right, take care. All right. You have a good day. You Thanks. too. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dennis. Bye-bye. All right. Why don't we take another quick break? When we come back, we're going to talk about the Buick Encore. And um, I also got to spend a couple of minutes with Trisha Morrow from Chevrolet. Let's see if we can find her. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Austin, or 100.3 FM. Uh, we will uh, talk about the Buick Encore when we get finished talking with Trisha Morrow. She is a safety engineer uh, from Chevrolet. And I think... Sure, I can. And I think... Well, there she is. And I think on the phone with us is uh, Trisha Morrow, a safety engineer with Chevrolet. And from Labor Day to Memorial Day is categorized as the 100 deadliest days on the road for many reasons. Um, Trisha, can you give us some tips on how to stay safe? Sure, I can. Thanks so much. Uh, We do have some tips for driving, not just for teens, but everyone on the road during summer and, and really all year long. You know, first, we really think it's important to create awareness. Create awareness that... 
you know, especially these summer months, are really dangerous for everyone on the road. And we really should get to know our vehicles, our ride maintenance, as well as the technology. Take some time in the garage or in your driveway to really understand what your maintenance is and to understand those safety features so that you're not messing around with them while you're on the road. Remember the basics? Recent research from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration shows that deaths resulting from speeding and lack of seatbelt use are actually on the rise. So we really need to make sure that we all observe posted speed limits and make sure that everyone wears their seatbelt, every person, every seating position, every time. You know, and we also need to put our phones away. I know it can be so tempting to do one little thing while you're driving, but it really can have devastating consequences. So we all need to make sure that we either pair our phones with Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, with the vehicle in in-vehicle Bluetooth system, and really make sure that we keep our eyes on the road and phones down. We also need to take advantage of all the technology available in the vehicle. Chevrolet offers a lot of features to help give us a little peace of mind and keep us safe this summer and all year long. Features such as Teen Driver, which is a tool to help parents talk to teens about safe driving, Rear Seat Reminder that can help you look in the back seat, remember things that you have left in the back seat, um, also, a lot of active safety and driver assist features, such as forward collision alert and rear cross-traffic alert, that can really help during these summer months and, and all, all year long to really help reduce crash speeds or avoid crashes altogether. And finally, we really need to remind our family to speak up. Summer often means that our teens are going to be driving with other teens or our kids with other parents. We need to empower even our youngest children to recognize safe driving habits observing posted speeds, eyes up, phones down, seatbelts on, so that they can uh, speak up when they see unsafe driving conditions and really remove themselves if necessary. Yeah, let's face it, your kids have been watching Drive since the day they came home from the hospital, and it's such a good reminder about the seatbelt use. There's no excuse why people aren't wearing their seatbelt. It's the single simplest thing you can do to prevent serious injuries inside a car is take two seconds and just buckle up. Um, and some of the other features, the electronic features, lane departure, warning and correction and so forth, I think some people get confused by all of this, especially if they have more than one car in the household and they get in and they're like, I don't know what this does, it makes noise, it vibrates the seat, it does something else, and it gets a little bit confusing for people sometimes. Uh, but I think once they understand the technology, it probably, it probably helps a lot. And like you said, the thing with the phone, uh, in Rhode Island where our AAA main office is, uh, starting this week, we've gone to a hands-free law where people have to mount their phone somewhere or, uh, or pair it up to Bluetooth or Android Auto like you were saying, or better yet, put the phone away. How about, how about getting in your car and not being distracted by your phone at all? Absolutely. You know, as you said, seatbelt use is paramount. It's the number one thing you can do to protect yourself in a crash. And, and putting the phone away is, so, is such an easy step to take as well. You know, the text can wait. It's always something that we want to do when we're multitasking. But even beyond the phone, there's so many things in our days that are distracting, whether it's looking for street signs or um, other things we're doing in the vehicle. And we all just need to work together to improve road safety and all focus on the primary task, which is driving. Right. Two hands on the wheel, two eyes on the road, best thing to do. That's how you stay safe, right? Absolutely. Richard, thanks for taking all the time out of your Saturday morning and joining us up here in Boston. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having us. And that was uh, Trisha Morrow, a safety engineer with Chevrolet, and talking about uh, what you can do to be safe on the road through the summer months. I promised we would talk about the Buick Encore, the car that got me around last week. The Buick Encore is the smallest of the SUVs from Buick. The Encore comes in five trim levels and a choice of front or all-wheel drive. This small SUV is powered by 138 horsepower, 1.4 liter turbocharged engine and base trim, and the horsepower jumps about Almost 20 horsepower in higher trim levels. Our road test was in the all-wheel drive premium edition Encore. The Encore feels quick and nimble, not fast, um, but um, the 1.4-liter, 153-horsepower engine is powerful enough to merge with fast-moving highway traffic without any anxiety. The ride is comfortable for a small vehicle, but the handling is far from sporty with a fair amount of body lean on fast turns. Unlike some other small SUVs, the Encore is quiet with little road or engine noise. Even under hard acceleration, the engine doesn't feel or sound too buzzy. The interior of our premium edition is very well done with stylish leather-appointed seats, soft-touch surfaces throughout, and knobs and switches that have kind of a upscale feel. None of that uh, clicky, cheap feel to them. The infotainment system is easy to use, and our Encore was also equipped with a Wi-Fi hotspot as well as Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, the seats were comfortable and fairly supportive, different than the last Chevrolet cousin that I drove, the Chevy Trax, which I thought was actually... The seats, I thought, were actually really uncomfortable after like 15 or 20 minutes. The seats in the Buick were actually pretty good. Since this is a luxury version of, of the Encore, it's equipped with heated front seats, heated steering wheel, remote vehicle start. The rear seating area can accommodate adults as long as the front seats are not pushed fully rearward. Entry and exit through the small doors is a little bit of a challenge for larger passengers. Safety is addressed with forward collision, rear and side blind spot warning systems. The rear cargo area is about 19 cubic feet. It opens up to about 48 cubic feet with the seats folded. Again, it's a small SUV. The Encore uh, by Buick competes and does well in the subcompact SUV category, which includes some of the best vehicles in the class, like the Honda HRV and Mazda CX-3. If you like the size of the vehicle and you're looking for a bit more luxury than competition, the Encore by Buick is worth a look. Our as-tested price, $36,480. Again, it's a four-cylinder turbocharged engine that has two different horsepower ratings, 138 and 153. Fuel economy, not outstanding for a small car because I want everything to get 100 miles per gallon, but fuel economy is 25 city, 31 highway. And again, it's a small, it's a subcompact SUV, so a little bit different than uh, some of the other vehicles on the road. Uh, last week when I was uh, being lazy and doing the program for my house, uh, one of the comments that came up was the uh, the Royal Wedding and the Electric Jaguar. And uh, there was an article about it, and it talks about some of the some of the things that this Jaguar did, and it had a... Uh, 230 kilowatt, 295 horsepower electric motors. The car is faster than the original, hitting um, 60 miles an hour from a standing start in 5.5 seconds. The conversion was done on a North American Series E-Type with the steering wheel on the left, leading to a lot of controversy, I guess, because it wasn't a right-hand drive car. Um, Jaguar has uh, really looked at the whole vehicle and... uh, I guess if you want to buy one, it's about four hundred thousand dollars, which I think came up, which I think came up last week. How expensive it is! Our phone number is six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. 
Uh, Dennis, do we need to take another break? Uh, I don't have one. Oh, you Sorry. don't? Okay. All right. No, that's fine. I just, <laughs> I, I just thought, build I just one thought, real quick. But... I, I just thought, I just thought we had one. We had to do one. So, uh, and that's that's okay. That's okay. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, you can uh, you can look at you can look at some of the stuff. Um, the uh, we talked a little bit of a Tesla earlier, and um, and the Tesla Model Three is adding a performance version. For a price, it says here, uh, in a series of tweets, Tesla's CEO Elon Musk has unveiled specifications for a more powerful and faster and more expensive version of Model Three. The performance version of the battery sedan uh, will cost seventy-eight thousand dollars more than double the thirty-five thousand dollars base price. That's crazy. So it's the- nuts. But did you also see? Sorry, um, that the um. Consumer reports have changed their mind on the whatever the Tesla that's coming out for the quote unquote affordable yeah. Tesla. Well, that's 30, what this one's supposed to be. Um, it's thirty something thousand. Well, dollars. yeah, but the, the base model's thirty thousand. The performance version seventy eight thousand. Oh, okay. So same car, same small car, but if you want it to go fast. But I guess the reason that um, consumer reports changed their mind on it is because those. The stopping ability yeah. in the and yeah. then they did some yeah. type of software update and now yeah. it stops like stops better yeah yeah and again that's what sort of we were talking about that with George that's sort of what Tesla does is they sell their stuff and then you're the you're the guinea pig you're the road test um, and if things aren't going quite as well as they should well then they try to fix it with software updates while you sleep yep and also the um, the display, the they're gonna the they're gonna change out the interior display because I guess people are just like it's too boring. You know, you yeah, I guess you got to spend you got to get the Model X if you you know you don't want boring or something. I don't I don't know. I, you know the the, the vehicle the vehicles the vehicles are. Um, I haven't seen a Model Three yet, so I really can't say what the Model Three really is like. But the um, but some of the other Tesla vehicles, I mean, they're. My boss, my old boss, I guess he doesn't, not really my boss anymore, bought a Tesla, and somebody said to him, why'd you buy a Tesla? And he said, I want a American car, but I want something that's kind of cool and fast and luxurious. And he said, I didn't see that in Lincoln, and I didn't see that in Cadillac, so I bought a Tesla. And he said, and it just happens to be electric, and it has a pretty decent range, and he's managed to make it work for him, so... It's kind of kind of interesting on and you know how people are looking at a variety of different things like this. So, but this is also the time of year where you need to think about maintaining the car you have today. And before we know it, people will be going all kinds of places for summer. And you need to think about some basics of things you need to really make sure you need to do to keep your car safe. The top three or so reasons why AAA goes out and rescues people is dead batteries, flat tires, and keys locked in their car. So if you always try to carry a spare key with you, uh, that's always a big help. That's going to save you. Uh, make sure your tires are in good shape because the winter was uh, pretty tough. The roads aren't, are not in good condition. Tires can become pretty badly damaged, and you want to make sure that uh, any bumps and bruises that you see on your tires, well, those are those are potentially areas where those tires could fail at highway speed. So you want to 
make sure your tires are in good shape. So go to a good tire store like a Sullivan Tire or somebody and have them just put the car up in the air. Maybe it's time for an oil change and have them give a look at the tires overall and see what kind of shape they're in. You may find that um, they're not in as good a shape as you thought they were. AAA actually just came out with a survey that showed that Although a tire in most states in the country is considered worn out at two thirty seconds of tread, so if you take a if you take a, a actual tire depth gauge or a quarter, and you measure from the top of who's ever on a quarter, who's on a quarter, George Washington, George Washington, and the tread doesn't come to the top of George's head. Um, I the thought t- it was a penny. Yeah, inflation, inflation. <laughs> um, that, that's 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 a pun in a pun in a pun. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, but a quarter works a little bit better. And um, and if but if the tread isn't up to the top of George's head, well, your tires are considered worn out. But we did some we did some independent testing, and what we found out was the difference between a tire at four thirty seconds and a tire at two thirty seconds on a wet road. At 60 miles an hour, jamming on the brakes at 60 miles an hour, stopping distances go up, up to 70 feet more. So what we would really like people to think about doing is if their tires are getting to the point where they're four or three thirty seconds, replace them now. Now, the dry weather stopping is going to be the same, but we have more rain than we do dry weather, it seems like. So... Even though it might sound a little bit early, it's probably the best thing you can do is to really think about replacing those tires a little bit early. Here's the problem. I'm selling my old Hyundai to a person I work with. And she said to me, yeah, I really want to have my mechanic look over the car before you buy it, before I buy it. I said, that's a good idea. I'd rather you do that. And... She came back and she said, well, you know, the front tires are 430 seconds. And the AAA survey said they should be replaced. And I said, really? And she said, well, he gave me a price on new tires for like $650 or $700. And I said, well, it just so happens that I wasn't planning on replacing this car. And I have four brand new Michelin tires that are probably worth much more than that, that you know, let's make some kind of compromise deal, and I'll throw in the Michelins, and you can buy the car. So that's what's going to happen. The other thing I wanted to do today, and I wasn't able to connect with him. I don't know if you saw the news about one of our tow truck drivers um, who saved, saved a, somebody's life. Saved somebody's life, yeah. yeah. I tried to get Norm on the show today. I called and left a message for his boss, and his, uh, but it just never worked out. We'll see if we can get him on maybe next week. Um, but he was driving by a house. He's, he was, uh, he's originally, I think, from Maine. And he's a former volunteer firefighter, maybe a current volunteer firefighter. And he saw this house that was on fire and um, and went in and got the two people out. And I think they had a dog or something, too, and got them out. And then the house burst into flames afterwards because the guy had some kind of welding shop or something. And propane tanks exploded and a bunch of stuff happened in the, the house. But if it wasn't for Norm, and these people didn't know the house was on fire. And uh, if it wasn't for Norm, uh, things would have been a whole lot worse. So also, um, the propane tank exploded, and apparently the person was a firearm owner because 
there was ammunition going off at the same time. So, uh, so uh, who knows what kind of things could have happened? But it, uh, it it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been that good. It wouldn't have been that good at all. So, uh, but it was just one of those things. Uh, back to things you need to do for the summertime for your car. You want to make sure that. Um, like I said, the battery's also in good shape. Batteries in New England last about five years, kind of on average. Um, on the high end, probably seven. On the low end, probably three. Uh, Honda CRV batteries, for some reason, reason last a lot less, um, closer to three years or four years. Uh, that seems to be one of the most po- common cars we go out and and change change batteries on, and then. Um, in hot weather states like Florida and Arizona, batteries typically only last two or three years. They just don't. They just can't handle the heat. Which, if you have a battery that's four or five years old and started your car without any problem over the winter, a hot summer day can actually do the battery in. So just because you think batteries in winter time is where all the real problems are, batteries in hot weather can be a real problem too. So if your battery is like I said, four, five, six years old. You might want to have it tested just to see what kind of shape it's in because it can have a problem in, in hot weather. So the person buying my car has a pretty new battery in it. So so we have bird nests and a tree that birds love. Mm-hmm. What is the best product to get bird droppings off a car? Um, I've washed it, and there's still dro- – I can't – it's pain in the neck. And I this is why I didn't want a white car. <laughs> Well, at least it matches. Um, the um, time is the best thing. Get out there as soon as it happens. Um, if you can't, Barry McGuire, the guy who owns McGuire's Wax Company, said to me, go out there with some mayonnaise and some plastic wrap. Put the mayonnaise on top of the bird droppings, cover it with over with plastic wrap for a little while, and then go out and try to wash it off afterwards. I've never tried it. Um, just makes a bad thing more ickier, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. but I guess it helps dissolve what can hap- what's going on there. Short of that, what happens is the, um, the bird droppings have acid in them, and the acid mm-hmm. can actually etch the paint. So you want, that's why you want to try to get it off there as soon as you can. And then um, you know, wash it the best you can, and then you, you might have to like uh, compound it and wax it to get the paint back to the restored condition where it should be. Um, try like putting a plastic owl in your tree. <laughs> Maybe it'll scare the other birds away. Something like that. Voices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a little too late for trivia. I forgot all about trivia today. It's a little too late. Too bad. So Next. sad. <laughs> Dennis hates trivia. I don't, I don't know why. hate trivia. It's just you do it at weird times, and it makes me go. It just. It just. It's just annoying me. And now I was going to do something really funny but it's the moment has passed what happened i was gonna when you said i was forgot to play trivia i was mm-hmm. gonna go come on where is it see trying to do three things that yeah oh, where is it what oh, oh okay we're not going to do trivia because of that and there's paul sullivan sitting quietly over there not so not so quiet now not so quiet now but you were sitting quietly I was reading. I felt like I interrupted you. I was in, I was improving myself in reading. Well, I learn something new every day. Somebody asked me the other day if I was a lifelong learner. And what'd you say? I said no. I stopped learning on November twenty second, nineteen seventy three. Why is that? No, I didn't. It's just a throwaway line. But 
I mean, of course, you you learn, like, we got stuck in traffic this morning, learn not, not to go so late or to go a different way. You learn all the time. You yeah, do. You do. You uh, were here earlier than you usually are. Correct. Uh, but you... <laughs> Because did, my did wife you, is a better driver than I've learned did you that. Get, did well. you get involved in the ten thousand bicycles that were? Uh, no, no, we must have gone a different yeah, route. Yeah. Um, there was a no. lot of bicycles. I I actually came to work a different way. Oh, knowing about the Pan Mass challenge. No, it's it not Pan Mass. It's uh, Brady's thing. What oh, is it? Uh, best, oh, uh, best buddies. Best buddies. Oh, yeah. best buddy. oh I didn't, Okay. They're riding down to the Cape today. Yeah. 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 I didn't know about it at all, and I just happened to go a different way to get here today. And as I'm coming up the beach. They're going the other way. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Because I would have been stuck in that. I would have been wouldn't have been able to take a left. Oh, it was been would have been. Bad. I didn't. See, I didn't see Tom Brady. Where was he? Oh, he was there yesterday at Harvard yeah. Stadium. Oh, okay. Uh, they had him all over the news this morning because, of mm. course, he didn't go to the to the optional camp last week, and so he was throwing a football at Harvard. And apparently, he was throwing a football on a yacht somewhere too. So. Yeah. You know, in these days where everyone has a camera, no matter yeah. what you do, yeah. I, mean, I feel kind of bad yeah. for someone who I, I, has notoriety or yeah. fame. You know? Yeah, for, you know, they were saying that, you know, you know, him and Gronk didn't show up on the OTAs. Yeah. And I, did, I had no idea what that <laughs> meant until somebody finally said optional <laughs> training, training activity. Whatever activity. the activities, yeah. 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 I'm like, what's an OTA? You know, finally somebody somebody told me, so. Well, if he's supposed to be there, then it's not optional, right? I mean, yeah. come on. You've got to yeah. give him a break. He's 41 years old. He, yeah. he went to the Super Bowl and and performed better in that Super Bowl with the loss than he did in any other game he's ever played, I think. Yes. And, uh, you know, so, you know, give him a break. Let him rest. Let him relax. Let him rejuvenate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No drama. Yeah. There's always drama. I know. Uh, speaking of bicycles, tell me about the yellow bicycles in Quincy. The yellow. Oh, um, I think that's a that's a Blue Cross Blue Shield. Thing. No, those are those are blue okay. bicycles. Oh, blue bikes. Yeah. And I don't know what the yellow yeah. bikes are. And what's interesting about them is they don't look like they're locked up. They look like they're just sitting there. I just saw them this morning. Yeah. How do you get one? I, I apparently no idea. It looks like you just walk over and get one. No, I think you, there's yeah. some kind of, um, you know, Apple, can I say that? You know, some kind of um, electronic pay or yeah. credit card swipe. Or well, something. you would think unless the, like the ones in Boston, the the uh, the ones that are the Blue Cross Blue Shield. Whatever, yeah. Well, it used to be a hub bikeway, but, right. but yeah. Blue Cross sponsored it now, so now it's called Blue like blue, blue something, blue mm-hmm. way, I don't know, something. But those you go up with your phone and you right. and then you get you're able to release the bike. Yeah. The old ones in Quincy look like they're just parked there. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. And in fact I saw one by the courthouse, just all by itself, and then I saw one right down here by the Fox and Hound. Yeah. Well, my secretary went down to Washington a couple of weeks ago and you know You she's mean your administrative professional? She's way more than that. But yes. Um she's my left my right hand anyway they went to washington a couple of weeks ago and she's a little younger and a lot better shape than me and so they rented the the, the bikes yeah. that they you know whatever they call them down there and i said are they really really bad bikes that you know that someone would throw away she goes, no they're great and you can get around really nicely and they have the right gearage or whatever the yeah the, the hubway yeah. the hubway bikes are actually pretty easy to ride and they're sort of balloon tires so they don't kill you riding them and they also seem to have baskets on them so you yeah. can you know you, you think baskets are silly until you buy something right you don't know where to put it so uh-huh. and then it yeah. throws up your whole uh, center yeah. of balance yeah. and yeah, yeah. well it's not like you buy, <laughs> it's not, it's not like you buy a 50 inch tv you know? listening to starboard yeah. you know i'm yeah. trying to get down the road yeah. but, cars honking at yeah. you but yeah. the, but the idea that um these uh, these yellow bikes uh, because i saw two Two of them, one um, 
near the Star Market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was a whole there was a whole row of them, but it didn't look like they were locked into anything. But are they so hideous and bright that if they're you steal like the one, color of your people, shirt. Yeah, they're they're high visibility. Pretty hideous. Yeah, and bright, high, yeah. they're high visibility. Yeah. I literally. Yeah. So just you, if you stole one, people would know that you yeah. stole. Yeah, them. but yeah. but uh, but I also wonder whether like the two that I saw that looked like someone used them. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they just rode them to wherever they were going to go and, and left just them, left them there. The road. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I literally just started seeing them. Yeah. This week, and it, yeah. it's it was in my subcon. Like until you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, I totally forgot that they're even there. So I don't, I, I don't know what's going on with them. Actually, well, I'm have to well, well, could it be possible? Yeah, could it be possible that a municipality says this has so much of a benefit to the community at large that we just leave these bikes and you can use them and you you won't be on our roads, you won't be polluting uh, well, the air, you won't. Is that no. possible? And that was the, no. that was the original yeah. thought yeah. Uh, years back. That was the original thought that. Um, I think even before they were talking about paying for them, there's just buy a, buy a bunch of bikes, leave them, yeah. and people would just, you know, the, just the ride, honor them, ride them wherever they go. And yeah. when they get done, somebody else might see one. They're walking along, and they're like, you know what? I think I'll grab that bike and ride it back to the tea stop, yeah. and then leave it at then, the tea stop. Then, and the next, and then so humankind on. got in the way and yeah, well. and stole them. <laughs> the honor system does have its limitations. Yeah. And maybe and that. maybe these yellow bikes have some sort of built-in GPS in them. I don't know. So. Could be. Yeah. But or, then they'd be much more expensive. And yeah, yeah, would, yeah. yeah. And even if they had something where the wheels were locked up until you told your phone to, I can take one, hmm. that doesn't stop someone just picking it up and carrying it away. Well, if they are monitored by... My phone's going. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. That's if right. they are monitored by GPS and you hooked up a weapon system to, you uh, can take out phone, the people. Your, your, your phone went off. It probably somebody has the answer. What all these yellow uh, bikes are? I don't know. Yeah. It's probably somebody said, "Oh, how come you're not doing trivia?" <laughs> I forgot. Oh, okay. I forgot. Hey, the piano player means it's time for me to go. <laughs> oh. Uh, so what you got going on for the Irish hit parade today? We'll, we'll do trivia. I promise. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah car we'll trivia. Figure something out. Irish trivia. Uh, Irish, Irish trivia. Yeah. Just to uh, bail you out. All right, I appreciate all that. Right. Yeah, yeah, we'll do we'll do that next week. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. The very best in Irish music coming up next with Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade. See you all next week. Bye bye.